The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Pure Hoops Podcast, Episode 9, Week 9 for Pure Hoops Media. We're very excited about where we're taking things. Looking forward to this show today with BJ Armstrong. We're going to get into the Russell Westbrook incident in Utah with a fan. The impact of Boogie Cousins, positive for the Warriors, becoming a big problem for their opponents. More madness at MSG surrounding Knicks owner Jim Dolan and a fan. March Madness memories with BJ in his Iowa days. Of course, we'll go to the 90s. Check ball. Pure Hoops podcast. Let's go. The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Pure Hoops podcast most definitely does reflect the views of our management. Here's three-time NBA champ BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. Hey, Pure Hoops fans, I'm Monica McNutt, and I'm pumped to announce my podcast rolling out April 11th, Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. We're going to do it every Thursday. Hopefully, we'll have some conversations with your favorite hoopers. We'll get to their journey in the game, what makes it special, why they love the game, all of that good stuff. So please check it out. It's Buckets, Boards, and Blocks rolling out on April 11th every Thursday. Pure Hoops Podcast, Episode 9, Eric Newman, BJ Armstrong, and you, of course, just heard our latest addition to the Pure Hoops family, Monica McNutt, who will be debuting her show, as stated, Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. We're excited to have her aboard. BJ, the Pure Hoops team continues to grow. First and foremost, though, how are you, my friend? What's happening in L.A.? Well, everything is going uh, going well. We can't complain out here, and just excited to continue to expand and add to the podcast network. So uh, everything is all good, my friend. Yeah, she is uh, the mix of energy, passion, knows the game, played the game, comes from a basketball family, and and what really excites me about bringing Monica into the the circle and and the team is. She doesn't just want to talk about like what's happening in front of us every day. She wants to tell the stories behind it and how people climb the ladder and their journeys. And she's from D.C. and that's a very interesting basketball community itself. So we're, we're really looking forward to that. And uh, as usual, as we start our show, there is nothing, nothing at all in terms of a shortage to talk about. So, um, as much as I want to talk about the guy I've been making a film about, we're going to get to him in a moment, Russell Westbrook, Utah Jazz fans, Donovan Mitchell sending out a a reply to what's going on and his thoughts. Um, So, first and foremost, before I ask you about playing in Utah, you know Westbrook you know the heat he gets in opposing arenas. You know the attention he draws. What was your reaction to seeing another incident in Utah surrounding Russell Westbrook? 
Well, you know, this is uh, in some in some ways, you know, it's kind of it's kind of upsetting to see that you know we have this type of interaction between players and and fans, and without being there and seeing the actual exchange myself. You know, I, 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 I want to take everyone at, at face value. Something happened. You know, what was exchanged? You know, I don't want to get into a he said, she said type of situation. But whatever happened, it, it's very disturbing from this point. That is that, you know, people are paying money uh, to see an NBA game, a form of entertainment. The players are there to do their job and and do the very best that they can and understanding you know the business aspect of it as well as the entertainment aspect of it as well and then to have this sort of disruption where you have an exchange that clearly something was said and you know the ex-player in me it's happened to you know you know it's happened to I want to say probably many of us, all of us. Uh, certainly, I've had my exchanges with with players, with not players, with with fans who kind of overstepped the lines with it. Um, but again, in saying that, I'm just—it's it, very disturbing that it, something happened that escalated to this point. And I hope whatever happened. Because you you know you know whatever it is uh, you know I, I wasn't there you wasn't there so we're, we're, you know what what we heard you know it's kind of we've one heard of those specific things. we've we've heard specifics yeah and, um, and, and, we've heard and, and, we've heard yeah. other people attest to what happened it seems right. like arena security is on it it seems like there were witnesses but and if yeah while if that we did don't have... know the specifics we we don't know the specifics we weren't there but the one thing that I think we both know. This has been bubbling and happening for way too long, and we're already we're already past the point where something needs to be done. So it right. seems like this is the one that is is finally pushing it over the line. So my question for you is: what you've read so far, heard so far, your knowledge of the inner workings of the NBA is this the one that is going to make everyone stop and pause and say, okay, like what are we doing here? Because th- this needs to change now before we have a situation where Vernon Maxwell is going up into the seats again, where Cedric Maxwell is laying out a Sixers fan in a playoff game behind the basket, where, God forbid, there's uh, another incident like Artest the Pacers' malice at the Palace. Like We're, we're, we're approaching the point where I feel like someone's going to take something into their own hands. So where are you at with what you think the NBA is going to do and needs to do right now? Well, clearly there needs to be some distance between the fans now and the players. And many of the fans, are many, a large, you know, percentage of the fans are just great. They're, they are there. And sometimes, you know, there's an understanding when guys are talking trash and fans are talking trash. And there's a level of respect in how you talk trash and, and the things you say. But then there are things that you say – that overstepped that boundary. So I think there has to be some division. There's going to have to be some level of supervision that's going to be needed uh, by the teams and the league 
and um, but I, I and I don't I, I don't have the I'm not pretending to have the answers, but but the thing uh, again the thing is it's most disturbing is that if that was if those things were said, you know what does that say about us? And I say us, you know what does that say about you know uh, you know where we're at as a society. But more importantly, is just the respect for a, a, another human being, right? Uh, you know, yep. you just can't go around saying things to saying anything to anybody. And uh, right. so what, what really bo- what really bothers me is that there's no way that guy's walking up to Russell Westbrook in the street and saying that. So exactly. Th- so that so like and it, and it's it it's it's this ties into social media keyboard tough guys, all that. Just because you buy a ticket to a game does not give you the right to stand there and insult people and cross that line. There has to be consequence, whether that consequence is you're removed from the arena, whether that consequence is uh, there's an altercation that happens later. And I'm, I'm dead serious right now because I've I've seen it too many times where people run their mouth, run their mouth, run their mouth. And then, of course, once they're stood up to in whatever way that is, all of a sudden, they're not running their mouth anymore. And it's it's obviously not an even playing field because Russell Westbrook is not going to go into the stands and lay somebody out. But at the same time, th- this has to stop. It really does. Well, yeah, just to, just look, just having the respect. Just giving, you know, in order to get the respect, you want to you, you give respect. So whatever was said, it was very unfortunate. And I, I, I hope that it doesn't escalate and and I and I mean this I hope you're wrong that it's something doesn't escalate and I hope that many fans who are just great right and you know and and, and there's nothing wrong with talking trash but there's a there's a level of respect that you do it and uh clearly what was whatever was said crossed that line and Russell and I, I think most people will feel the need to defend themselves if they feel that it's something that could could escalate and get out of hand. One good thing to come out of this is Utah's most recognizable player and young star Donovan Mitchell uh, issued uh, quite a, in my opinion, impactful statement. Did you have a chance to read that? I did not. So, he, he you know, it's titled, We Have to Do Better, We Will Do Better. And, you know, he talks about uh, the fact that this can't go on, racism, hate speech, um, thanking his team in the NBA for responding to incidents like this, and um, just something very positive with Donovan. So something for everyone out there. If you haven't read it yet, check out what Donovan Mitchell wrote. It's uh, on his social channels and all over the Internet. And um, he's He's quickly emerging as a, as a real young, not not just talent, but he, he's got some leadership qualities, and this is an example of that. So well, yeah. I'm happy to see that from Donovan, well, for I, sure. I, I think, you you know, anytime, you know, one of the things I think comes with, with age is, you know, you, you have teachable moments. And this is definitely uh, one of those moments where you hope something positive comes of it. And if this gets us talking and moving in the right direction – and if this gives us an opportunity to take a look at ourselves and something positive comes of it, then it was, and then, you know what, so be it. So, um, you know, Donovan is a very thoughtful young man. 
you know, besides being a great basketball player, the, the fact that he was that he had the awareness to to make a statement like that says a lot about him and his character and uh, who he is as a person. So I applaud him for his stance on 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 something that, you know, on the surface, you know, looks like a uh, certainly on from looking from the outside, looks like a, a something that was that that was awful. But again, you know, something positive comes of it, then so be it. I'm not going to lie. I see Rockets Warriors the other night on the schedule. And I've got Rockets fatigue. I'm just going to be honest. Like, it's it's hard watching that style all the time. As good, as, as well as they're playing, as great as Harden is, we've talked about it. It's just not, it's not me. But, you know, then I'm thinking about the storylines of the game. No Durant. And, you know, rumblings out there about, okay, is DeMarcus helping? Is he hurting? Is his pick-and-roll defense a problem? And, you know, then I realized, wait, Golden State hasn't beaten Houston this season. So I lock in. And DeMarcus had a heck of a game. So, you know, A, where are you at with DeMarcus right now? And and B, um he was making so many plays out of the post. Where are you at with the Warriors running offense through Boogie Cousins out of that post? Well, since Boogie's return, I think physically this is probably the best that I've seen him be able to have a what I call a sustained effort throughout the course of the game. Um, he looked he he looked like he was moving. He he had a lot of he had a lot of energy, and most importantly, I think he was able to do some things that we have come accustomed to seeing, you know, DeMarcus do, especially from the low post. How effective that's going to be in the playoffs and will he continue to get that many touches? You know, I don't I don't I I can't answer those questions, but certainly he we know he has the ability to do it and I think this is the first time he's been able to do it in my opinion under a sustained effort throughout the course of the game. Um you know, the, you know, just commenting about what you said about the, the Rockets. The Rockets have a unique style. And, you know, love it or hate it, they are committed to their style and to their brand of basketball. And that's where I give D'Antoni, that's where I give D'Antoni sure. credit. This isn't a gimmick with him. This is what he believes. The players have bought in and they're going for it. So I, I respect the fact when you believe in something, and you're willing to not only win and talk about when it's good, but also lose in the same way and live with the results. So you have to respect it whether you agree with it or not, or whether you agree with it or you don't agree with it. Oh, I, I respect it. And, and what he's getting from guys that weren't even on the roster at the beginning of the season, whether it's you know bringing Gerald Green back, Austin Rivers, Shumpert playing important minutes, giving them a, a wing defender, and he, he's hungry to prove he can still play. Um, the, the, uh, it's it's respect. It's just that style is just sometimes it's just it's hard to watch. Whereas the way Golden State played the other night, playing through Boogie, uh, a lot of passing out of the post. He finished with uh, seven assists, eleven of sixteen from the floor. 28 points, 31 minutes. 
he played really well, and he also showed that you know he can play in a game with that pace and against that style, and make the other team pay for playing that way because uh, once. Clint Capella rotates off of him once he loses that body contact. Once they switch, and Boogie's got somebody on him who's who's six eight or shorter, uh, it's it's over down in the post. So um, a, a real bright spot there. When it comes playoff time, and everyone talks about you know the Warrior, you know the death lineup, or you know one of my least favorite terms in sports. Uh, is the Hamptons five. I can't stand it. Um, but, you know, playoff time, you've got the lineup that I just mentioned, which is KD, Draymond, Iggy, Curry, Thompson. Um, you know, and then, of course, Boogie now really finding a rhythm. If you're Coach Kerr, is this a situational thing? Is this a matchup thing? Or... Does he get to the point where, you know, DeMarcus Cousins is my five. We know who the other four are, and that's who I'm closing games with. How do you think that works out for them? Well, we have to remember in this game here that, you know, Kevin Durant didn't play. So the, the spacing and dynamics yep. of, the, uh, of the game is going to change anytime you, you lose a prolific scorer like Kevin Durant. I would venture to say at this point, knowing Mike D'Antoni, and his background and his coaching background, there was probably more emphasis put on this game from Coach Kerr. And I'm just putting myself, if I was coaching the game, if I would have put a much more emphasis sure. on this game from Coach Cole's, from Steve Kerr's perspective than I did of Mike D'Antoni. And the reason being is because I'm not going to show my mm-hmm. hand if I'm Mike D'Antoni at this stage. Because Mike D'Antoni okay. knows that he's, however this plays out, whether they won last night by 20 or they lost by 20 or what have you, that he's going to have to beat the Golden State Warriors four times. And that's a tall task. And he knows that all roles are going to lead through that team. So if I was him and knowing his background in, in, in Europe, European basketball and what have you, it's like, well, I got to see them possibly in the finals. I'm not going to show everything because I have to face them in the preliminary rounds. Do you think Kerr right now is is really sampling how he wants to close games in the postseason? And do you think he is going to just be a fluid, react-in-the-moment type of guy now with Boogie? Or do you think he's starting to see some things that are – guiding him one way or another. I think Boogie will be an option depending on the matchup. Easy enough. I, I Easy think enough. he and, I, I, and obviously I, I, obviously in the West, you've got Steven Adams, you've got Jokic, you've got Capella in Houston. I mean, there are some intriguing five man uh Nurchich in Portland. Uh you know, Rudy I, Gobert I, I, in Utah. You you've got a lot of five men that are gonna be ready to battle. So this this'll be really interesting with Boogie in the postseason. Well the, the the thing with the thing with Boogie, which will be a new experience for him, and, and remember we have to we have to be patient with him. The playoffs, this will be his first introduction to the playoffs. Yeah. Which is a brand new which is a brand new 
brand of, of, of basketball for him. And the, the one thing with Boogie, I think, as he goes through the playoffs, is that Boogie, like all good teams or great teams that, that participate in the playoffs, is you want to get as many uncontested shots as you possibly can because you know the difficulty and the detail that the other teams are giving to take away every possible thing that you can do. So me having a steady diet of just throwing it into the post mm-hmm. and saying go work, I don't know if that's the best way. I don't know if, you know, you know, even if you have Shaquille O'Neal, you're throwing it in Shaquille O'Neal because you know you got a double team and you're hoping that Shaquille O'Neal is able to read the double team and pass it out so we can get uncontested shots. And then once we they stop double teaming, we hope that he has an advantage and they, that we can – take our chances with his ability to be a 50-50 player, right? You're going to score or get us a good shot. A team that will not be in the playoffs, shocker, the New York Knicks. And, um, you know, I was reviewing a lot of uh, the 90s segments we've been doing lately because I want to get them out to our audience, just the standalones. And um, that New York stuff you shared was, was really, really great from the 90s, from the atmosphere to your your genuine desire to want to see uh, a a good team back in New York representing the city and the Knicks but what James Dolan allowed himself to get into with a fan last week who didn't curse at him didn't threaten him didn't make a scene just simply stated as a paying customer how he felt which Thousands upon thousands of New Yorkers feel this way in terms of he should sell the team. And Dolan just couldn't control himself. Has the guy removed? Has him banned? Need to hear your thoughts on this and what kind of precedent it sets with this guy continuing to run an organization that makes money charges a lot for tickets, but is not delivering a great pl- product to the floor, obviously, and then something like this happens. Well, this takes me back to, you know, my, my own personal life. I have, a, I have a private life, and I have a public life. And there, are, there have been a lot of things that have been said to me in my public life that I understood that it was... You know, whether I justified it by saying it was part of the job or or part of the life that I chose to be able to ignore a lot of the things that were said in my public life. You know, this is this is this is very interesting. What happened is because, you know, we we had two incidents that happened last week, the one with Russell and then we had the, the one here and then. One, we heard exactly what was said, and the other, we didn't hear exactly said. But we know that there was some confrontation that happened. So, yep. you know, the one thing as a – you know, I, I had a coach who I had a – I used to play in, in – in, growing up in Detroit, I used to play in, in this league called the, the – it was called the PAL League, the Police Athletic League. And oh, yeah. got I, we've, we've got them in New York too. Yeah, and, and – and, and that was the first time I've heard this, and it, it always stuck with me, was he said, you know, every time I give a speech, 
you know, you know, it's it's ten of you guys on the team, but there's twenty guys in the room. He was like, because the player is going to hear one thing and the person is going to hear another. But yeah. I'm only coaching the player. So the frustration that I may have as a coach to the player has nothing to do with the person. And I always remember that and carry that with me when I was in high school, when I went to college, and when I played professionally. I was called every like name that. in the book by every coach that you can imagine. And that was the player. That had, no, that had nothing to do with the person. So, again, this is one of these unique situations now that we're seeing because of, you know, cell phones and cameras and the coverage that we give this, that these things are being brought to light. But this is nothing new in sports. This is nothing new. Look, I, I, I've been <laughs> – one of my favorite things as a player playing in the playoffs in New York City was just to listen to everything they would say and call you. And the reason I always enjoyed the New York fans was they would call me every single name you can imagine. And then when the bus was about to take off, they'd be like, hey, BJ, man, good game, though. <laughs> and I would think, so is this like a joke or is this just a – I can't imagine what that audio track was like. Yeah, like, I, I the mean, of a it, game. It, 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 it's like, you know, it was part of the experience. It was part of, it is what it is. You know, there used to be a, a fan in Detroit, and he would just say the, the, the wildest things. There used to be fans like this all around. Uh, one of the... One of the one of my fondest memories is there was this the uh, super fan in uh, the Washington was, at the time they were the Washington Bullets. I mm -hmm. can't recall his name. Oh, the guy that sat the guy that sat behind the bench and and, and heckled. Yeah, he was he would he was, uh, he was like Robin something uh, the heckler. Ro I think uh, it was named Robin. I Ro think that no, Robin Robin, Robin Ficker. Fickler, Ficker, yeah. Thanks, Bruce. Robin Ficker. Oh my! I remember the was, first time I saw like the, the feature video on him. Just just he, wild. Now, the things he would say were the and not only was there, were they wild, he was doing research. <laughs> okay, and I oh wow, and, and 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 one time we were in a huddle. This is a true story. One time we were in a huddle, and he would just get after me. He would get after me like I mean like none other. You know, uh, BJ. What, what did he have on you? Uh, he. You know. What did he have? So he would always, he would always start off every game with me. He would always say, "It's past my bedtime." <laughs> 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 and all of the players, <laughs> he would go, "Little BJ, it's past your bedtime. What are you doing up this late?" And he would, and he would just start screaming, right? And, and and you know, it was like one of those things that everyone's trying to like keep a straight face. Little BJ, I know you hear me. I know you hear me. <laughs> and he would, it was past your bedtime. And he would just go on and on and on and on and on. But one time he said something about Phil Jackson that was just so, like, like out of bounds that Phil just stopped in the middle of the huddle and goes, Robin, okay, enough. And then Robin turned and he goes, yeah, you, you probably, I, I probably went a little too far on that. He apologized, <laughs> and then he went right back into doing his, it was like a whole routine. And then after the game, after that game, 
he came down and shook all of our hands and said, hey, man, great job, da-da-da. And he was like a normal guy. And then I went and did some research on him, and I think the guy was like a lawyer, if I remember correctly. And it was just part of his act. So yeah. I, I, I just, you know, I, I don't know. I never took this personal in my, in my public life. It was just what was said. Things were said. I get sports is very emotional. And I just always remember that with my, my coach in the police athletic league, he was like, you know what? Hey man, I'm just, I just want, I'm talking to the player right now. And I, I I just always found a way to get over my emotions as a player and understand that, you know what? I'm going to get booed. I'm going to get cursed out from coaches. I'm going to, you know, me and players are going to have, you know, disagreements, but I found a way to get over my emotions. I always found a way to get past mad. <laughs> so for me, that was just my approach to it, but I'm not saying it's right. And I'm not saying people have the right to say what they're saying because you're talking to another human being. And I don't care what the situation may be. You, you still have to respect that other person. That may be your thoughts. And just because other people agree with it doesn't mean that it's the right thing to say. And I don't have that right to just come up to say whatever I want to say to anyone. So and I think in both of those cases that, you know what, I don't know what the right thing is at this point. But I do know that we've made this choice to live a public life. And this is part of the life that we chose. And I think the fans have a right to feel the way they feel, but they also have to respect people. So I don't know what yeah. the correct answer is at this time, but I, I know something needs to be done to where we can figure it out, where we can both coexist with one, with one another and, and, and go on and do what we all came there to do, which is, you know, we all have a job to do at that particular point. Should there be different standards for owners? I just, know, I just feel I, I, like, I, don't, I just I, feel I, like this was, I just feel this was so ridiculous. The Oakley thing is one of the worst things I've ever seen, like in in, yeah. in any arena. It's it's one of the worst I, things I, I've ever I, seen. Yeah, so I, like, I, like again, you know what? We're we're in an age now where I'm seeing things, and I and I've you know I've been in sports for thirty something years. I'm seeing things for the very first time myself. It's a new day. It's a new era. It's a new, you know. You're, it, 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 when I first came in the league, you didn't even know who the owners were. You never yeah. saw an owner. You, 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 owners never, you know, I, I may saw when I came in the league, you know, with Jerry Reinsdorf, I may have saw him, may have seen him two or three times a year. Maybe. I never saw the owners. Would he, there. would he be, would he be at, I mean, obviously you say you never saw him, but in your, in your gut or looking back on it, was he at the games in Chicago stadium? I'm going to assume he was there, you know, but we didn't have suites or, you know, there, there was nowhere to right. watch the game, and that you and he and he wasn't sitting and he wasn't sitting behind the bench or courtside screaming at you guys or the refs. Uh, you know, we we didn't see him. You know, uh, yeah. but I'm going to assume he was at the games. And maybe I, I, you know, next time I see him, I'll ask him. But I, I just never yeah. saw him. He would always be in the locker room or something after we win a championship, or he would show up from time to time to to you know before a game and maybe you know say hello to the players, but. I never saw him in the exposure like I see the owners today uh, here. But it, again, it's 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 new. This is a new time and a new era. So I'm not comparing. To, I'm not saying it's 
right or wrong or good or bad. It's just a it's a new era now, and and we all have to move forward and 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 adapt to this new style and of the way we cover sports and the opinions and things that we have. I mean, everyone has an opinion now because of social media, and people feel that they have the right to voice it. And hey, this is this is what it is, and and let's move on. If you're a paying customer and you're not happy with the product, if you respectfully voice your opinion and concern, uh, I think that comes with the territory. Well, I mean, uh, mean, here's the thing. But, Eric, how about this? You're a paying customer. Yep. Okay. Mm -hmm. If you really really want to make a statement, don't pay. (laughs) Well, I'm I'm with you. I've been telling Knicks fans for years, you want to make the biggest statement, stop going to games. I mean that, that that's that's the bottom line. I, I have never yep. met an owner. Okay, I never I've never played for a coach. I never played with a player who didn't want to win. Now, we may have disagreed on how what was the best the best way to go about winning, or we may have disagreed about the 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 the, 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 the game plan. We may have agreed about you know, different things. But I've never met someone who, like, I don't want to be the best. So, again, if you disagree with something, yeah, you, 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 you can – there's a way to do it. If you're a parent customer, you have a choice. You have a voice. But mm-hmm. what do we get out of saying you don't agree with someone? And I mean, what do we get out of that? Like, like – no, it's fair. What, what do we get? You know what I mean? It's like, like okay, a coach calls a play, and it's not my play. There is a way. There is a professional way for me to go in and tell this coach respectfully that I disagree with him and his decision on the game. But, but there's also does that yeah. give me the right to scream and curse him out and do all this? No, like, so I I think there's 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 numerous ways to go about something. And I think now we just live in an era where people feel they have the right to say and do anything just because they can. And I don't know if that's right. I don't. Or is that just the society we live in today? So today, before we go back to the '90s, because it's March Madness, guess where we're going first? March Madness. And we're going back to your days at Iowa, which I have yet to ask you about. So when we're in March Madness and conference tournaments are heating up, uh, as we speak tonight, it's the uh, got the ACC semifinals. Where does your heart and mind go when you think back first about what you experienced in March Madness in your days in the Big Ten playing for Iowa? Well, the, the first thing that I, I, I recall is all of the friendship that I made with all of those, you know, all my teammates and all of the people, the wonderful people there in Iowa that I was able to, you know, work with as a young kid uh, when I first went there. Um, you know, I, I was very fortunate to play in the NCAA tournament four times uh, all my four years there and be able to have a, a – a very positive experience about what it took to get to the tournament, to play in advance in the tournament, and to know how special that is and and knowing of playing with a one-game elimination 
So that's what I remember most, the excitement of the fans of preparing and playing and knowing that every possession counted, every, you know, move, every shot was magnified. So, but I just remember the, 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 the experience that I had with my teammates because, you know, college is like, it's just so many unknowns. It's, it's basically, you know, three little, I always looked at it as three little mini tournaments, right? You got to win two games to, yep. to, get, to get out of the tournament, right? You know, two, two, and two. So um, those were great experiences for me, uh, for our team. You know, we were one game away from getting to the Final Four one year. I think we got to the Elite Eight and we yep. lost to... Uh, 19, 19, 1987, you faced UNLV in the Elite yeah, Eight. Well, to get yeah, to the Final and, Four. And, and, and all of those guys on that team, you know, you know, we, we all felt then that if we would have got to the Final Four, we would have won. I think Indiana ended up winning that year, winning the championship that year. And they beat they beat Syracuse in that classic game. Yeah, and I think we beat them twice that year in the Big Ten or we split with them or something. But, um, but again, you know, that's neither here or there. But I just remember having a great time in the tournament. And when you advance and you see – you know, for every smile that you see and every when you do win, you know, you you see what this game really means to these kids. And you see the, the, the disappointment every year. And every year I always like to watch the the last game. The, I always like to like to find it because you see the joy of the tournament to the victor, but also you see the pain because these young men and women who play in the tournament, you know, they're pouring their heart and soul into it. And in the end – you know, you, you see the emotion that goes into it, the commitment that goes into it. And it's and I, I that's one of my favorite parts of the of the tournament. It's just, you know what, you, you get a chance to see sports in its rawest form is where you, you, you're seeing these young people play with their hearts and their soul. And and, uh, you know, I, I, I've had fond memories of playing in the tournament. So there's a game I want to ask you about real quick. It's uh, your junior year. It's the Sweet 16. And you're up against Arizona. And randomly, you know, as a kid, and I've told you a few things about my sports fanship, you know, there was something about Arizona basketball that I just really, really liked. And I remember my first experience watching them was 1988 because it was Sean Elliott. It was Steve Kerr and Kenny Lofton, the great leadoff man for the Cleveland Indians, also played basketball at Arizona. And I remember watching him. And also on that team was Tom Tolbert, Anthony Cook, and Judd Bushler, who eventually would play for the Bulls. So they had five NBA players and a guy that would go on to be a Major League Baseball All-Star. Do you remember that game and what playing Arizona was like? And you obviously were, you know, you, you had a huge scoring game to start that tournament. You played very well against Arizona, even though you didn't move on. Do you remember what that matchup was like? And playing against all those guys that would eventually go to the league? Yeah, I, I do. Um, you know, so I had, a, I had a connection with with Arizona because Lute Olsen was a former coach at the University of Iowa. So I knew, you know, Coach Olsen. Sean Elliott and I were good friends. We had become good friends. We had played, I think, in the World University Games together or something, and we were roommates. And, and – you know, I, I, I knew those guys uh, over there. I didn't know Steve Kerr as well, but I, I participated in 
different functions and, 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 and knew Steve and, and Tom and all of those guys at the time. But they were a very good basketball team. And Sean Elliott was a great, great college player. I mean, he was as versatile as any player, you know, in college basketball uh, at that time. He was he was like 6'7", 6'8". He could put it on the floor. He could score. He could pass. And they had some really good players. I mean, Steve Kerr was a pro. Judd Bushler was a pro. Tom Tober was a pro. Uh, Kenny Lofton was a, a, a terrific little athlete who ran around left-handed. I just saw him recently at a, a Lakers game. Uh, he oh, really? seems to be doing well. Yeah, he lives out here in Los Angeles as well. And they were just a very, very good team. Um, and Sean was a – he was a great player. He was a great collegiate player. And they went to the Final Four – uh, I think they went to the Final Four that year, if I if I remember. Um, but they they had yes, a great that team. Was the, the, that was the Kansas, Oklahoma, Arizona, and I'll check on the fourth team. But yeah, that yeah. Was the but I mean, they yep. they were, they were a great team and obviously well coached. So um, they were the better team, no no doubt about it. It was going to require us to play exceptionally well. We had some good players, you know. You know the the late Roy Marble was on that team. Kevin Gamble, Ed Horton, Les Jepson. Uh, we had some guys who played professionally as well. So there were a lot of pros yep. on the floor. and uh, But Sean Elliott, I think, was a cut above everybody else. And, uh, you know, he was he was a big-time player, and he played big in that moment, and, and they, they were the better team. So last one on this, you know, you, 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 know, you had a, a coach in, in, in Tom Davis. You played at Iowa for four years. 1989, you guys get knocked out in the second round by NC State. What's the hardest part about that experience coming to a close when that last game is over? What was the what, what's the toughest thing? Well, it's always tough when you lose because you're so emotional and knowing as a senior, it was it was that Rodney Monroe and Corchiani. I can't remember. I think that's who it was. Uh, those guys on the NC State team. Just knowing that it's yeah. over. Rodney, Rodney Monroe, Chucky Brown, Chris yeah. Corciani, Tom Gugliotta. Yeah, uh, I mean, was no, a, a young guy on that team. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, you when you lose, you know, you you realize suddenly it's over. You know, it's always another game. There's always another game, and then suddenly, you know, when you lose as a freshman or sophomore or junior, you know, it's always next year. And then I remember losing that game. It was like, oh wow, my my career, my college career is over. Um, but I, re- I remember Rodney Monroe had a, a great game. Um, it went down to the wire, and, and he made some shots, and we, we didn't, you know. But it, I remember it was a back-and-forth game. Chucky Brown, I knew um, from just playing against him in high school. And, and uh, Gugliotta, I got to, you know, playing against him many years in the NBA. But um, – you know, though, that's what I remember most is that it's over. when it's over, it's over. And, you you, yeah. you you know, you never you never want to take anything for granted. But I remember just sitting there in the locker room after that game. I, I want to say it was out east in Providence for some reason. Uh, I remember out east. And uh, but it was that was that was tough because, um, you know, that's when you first had your first reality that, you know, your college career is over with. As we are in the heart of basketball season with uh, March Madness, conference tournaments, the NCAA tournament upon us, and of course, the NBA playoffs rapidly approaching, 
Uh, it brings uh, me great pleasure to introduce the newest member of the Pure Hoops Media family, the one and only Monica McNutt, who is up here in New York City for a big week of hoop. What is good, and thank you for sitting down. Eric, I am pumped to join the family, and obviously it's the greatest time of year ever. Um, so much hoops to consume, so much hoops to discuss. I am just so excited to get involved in the Pure Hoops action. I'm really looking forward to it. I appreciate that, and, and we're excited to have you. And before we dig into uh, your show and and what brings you up here, um, you know, we want to get a sense, obviously, you know, myself, Bruce Bernstein, we, we've gotten a sense of who you are you know, through your work and our many conversations. But, you know, share with our audience, like, what is your basketball heartbeat and, and what's that, that thing that drives you and why do you love the game so much? So when I think of movie style, right, when I first fell in love with basketball, um, I think of sitting in the carpet in front of my dad on the couch watching college basketball back in the day, like Shane Battier, Juan Dixon, like the old ACC before some of this realignment and just – consuming the game like sitting in the floor hours on end and just watching and talking to my dad who has been a high school referee for as long as I've been alive so um that to me was when I fell in love with the game and I don't know if it was a daddy's girl thing like dad loves it I love it too um but I also think for me it was a place where I could break all the rules right like my mom used to get on me sit this way be mindful of your body and I'm tall and as a kid I had to grow into my body naturally but basketball I had the body that was built for this I could go all out no rules nobody was telling me to act nicely or sit this way and when it came to basketball and so it was a place that really shaped a lot of who I am my very best friends I hooped alongside of them the game has given me so much I mean even trickling down to this opportunity that you know I'm pumped about Eric um I just I mean it's such a beautiful game it's a simple game and I think it, it just doesn't get better than hoops to me. Like, it, And when you talk about sports, it doesn't get better than hoops. Things make a lot more sense sometimes between the lines, don't they? Absolutely. Real quick, father, referee, Yeah. how was that? Uh, it was cool. I, For the most part, I'm a pretty respectful kid. I, I, did I, ever get, I think I've gotten teed up like twice over the course of my career. Um, but before dad as a referee, dad was like first coach, right? So dad was – walked on at George Mason back in his day. Like, I can remember when we stopped playing one-on-one because I eclipsed him a little bit. Um, but Dad was first coach, and Dad showed me how to work. I think my parents were always a dynamic team in terms of this idea of if you start something, you're going to finish it, whether you like it or not. And so I can remember sixth grade being like, Mom, like, I get ballet. Like, I'm going to finish this last season, but, like, I really want to play ball, like, for real. Um, my dad and I started playing in third grade. You know, he wouldn't let me play AAU until I turned 12 because he wanted to make sure my fundamentals were in place. And so shout out to my parents. They were a dynamic team. And ballet also was about discipline and all of that, the things that you also need in basketball. Um, and so once we started, and I can remember the conversation with my dad, like, do you just want to play or do you want to be good? And so it was up Saturday morning at 6.30, 7 o'clock to go to the gym with Pops for years. And so when people ask me, why didn't you consider going pro when you finished at Georgetown? I had poured so much into the game. And don't get me wrong, it bared fruit. I, it was fantastic. But I was like, all right, next thing. Let's, let's do the next thing. And so the media thing had caught my eye. <laughs> Amazing how that timed up with how media coverage, technology, platforms have grown. Um, what was your, in 30 seconds, what was your game like? Oh, I'm a shooter all day. Shooter all day. 
like all day. I'm gonna shoot. I'm a. I was playing the top of the press in college, and then I was gonna rebound. I was. I hustled, but I was definitely shooting was the thing. Like, hand down, man down, hand in my face. Don't worry about it, because if I'm in a rhythm, it's still going up. <laughs> We're gonna have to get the Pure Hoops team in a gym and <laughs> and start shooting the ball, and that goes for B.J. Armstrong as well. So what um. What brings you to New York? I know you're involved in a, in a couple of other media things right now. What what brings you here for uh, conference tournament week? So I'm in with Fox. I just wrapped up the Women's Big East Tournament, doing studio out, out in L.A. with Mike Hill, which was a blast. Um, DePaul won their second back-to-back Women's Big East title out in Chicago. And so now the men are here. And you know the game, Eric. You got you to gotta be – Places to be seen. You got to shake hands. Maybe some roles this week for me on the Big East Digital Network. If not, I've had a tremendous season with both them and Fox. I'm excited to see what happens in New York on the men's side. It is kind of crazy. It really could go any kind of way on the men's side. And then um, the blooming giant, I'll call it, overtime. I'm doing some projects with them that we'll wait to deliver all the details on, but I'm super excited. Excellent. Excellent. little tease there. Never hurt anybody. So um, we're excited to announce you'll be launching a show with us. The title is? Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. Oh, shout out to uh, Bruce for that one, helping me come up with that title. I'm, I'm pumped, Eric. I'm, I am pumped, too. And your show will debut on Thursday, April 11th, which is right in that sweet spot, coming out of the Final Fours, going into the NBA playoffs, and, of course, you're going to be joining us to do some, some lead-up content for that as well and appear on, obviously, this show, the Pure Hoops podcast, Catch and Shoot, and, of course, your boy, Mike Wise, the Mike Wise Show down in, in D.C. So, you know, real quick, you know, you're from the D.C. area. You know, to wrap this up, what's D.C. basketball? Man, D.C. basketball is good. Can I just say that? I mean, we take so much pride in the guys and the ladies that we produce. But I think the brand of D.C. basketball, if I had to give it one word that would separate it when you look at regions, I think D.C. hoops are smart. It's, it's smart. Hoops are smart. Basketball is smart. You know, verb noun agreement. Um, but I think it's smart. I think we produce high IQ ballers um, at elite levels. I just, I mean, obviously, Katie's the first name you think of out of our area, but Victor Oladipo is recovering from an injury, but he's one of our guys. Um, I think of Josh Hart, who really was Sidwell friends. I have a whole story. Hopefully, we get him on the pod about how I got hemmed up with the Secret Service messing with Josh. But anyway, um, but I, I look at our guys, and, and I just think they're smart. I mean, if you want to look at this year's Villanova class, Phil Booth is a Baltimore guy, extension of DC, of, of the DMV, but they're smart. And I think that's kind of what separates maybe from New York, Houston, L.A. Like, our guys are smart. I think some New York guys are going to uh, I'm not clap saying that back on not. that. I'm not saying they're not smart, Eric, but I think if you were to – I'm already just you, trying to start You know what I mean? You. Like, and bring it. I'm for it. Let's have this discussion. No, one of the things that uh, we're really excited about is you've got so many stories you want to tell that are going to come out of that area that are going to be really unique and special. So we're really looking forward to having you aboard, to launching the show. Hope your week in New York is fantastic. And um, – you know, I get to say my favorite uh, catch line to you right now. It's time to check ball. Let's do it. I'm so excited. Thanks for having me on, Eric. Thanks, Monica. Back to the 90s we go. Appropriately, this 90s topic this week is 
toughest and most hostile road arenas you played against played in wow. excuse me toughest and most hostile road arenas you played in let's move new york off to the side because we've talked a lot about the knicks and the garden and some of those battles lately so take us into another environment doesn't matter if it's regular season postseason east or west but take us into one of those really tough environments, what it was like and, and what that tone and vibe was for you with the Bulls. Well, they always the toughest environment is your toughest opponent. And, and at that point, the toughest environment was the Detroit Pistons because they were just such an exceptional team. And, you know, they, they were a very mentally tough team. You know, Outside of the Knicks, I always thought which was a tough crowd was that Boston Garden crowd. And I always, you know, in the old Boston Garden, because I, I had a chance to play there, and it always looks fabulous on television. <laughs> but that place, was a, that place was a real dump, right? You should have seen, seen the look on my face when I finally got to tour it as a teenager. Yeah, like when and, I was up in Boston. Was, Oh my God! It was so disappointing, right? It was <laughs> like it looked great on television, and you know, you see all the championships and the fans running on the floor, and, and then you get to the locker room, and you're like, you know, every every game, every time I played there at the Boston Garden, the heat wasn't going to work in the middle of winter. The hot water, I'm sure they did this on purpose. It w- would never work in the middle of winter. And the cracks on that on the on the parquet floor were so big, you knew you couldn't dribble in certain places, because you know it was just like it was a dump. But it was the garden, it was the you know the mystique, and the fans. You know they 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 they, they I call them they're they're a championship caliber fan. You know they are. You know, define that. So, define I mean. that for our audience. Well, I mean, they, they, they're, 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 they've seen it all. You know, at that point, you know, the Bulls hadn't won one championship. I mean, look, how many, how many championships you guys got there? What, thirteen, fourteen now, or something? Or the Celtics have seventeen championships. Seventeen when, championships. When you were okay. playing there, they had sixteen. Yeah. So I mean, you, you were at you, you caused. You caused the the beginnings of the lull. <laughs> so, but there were is... there were there were and and you know, people who know both of us know you know the Celtics are, are my team. I did not plant this with BJ. Um, yeah, no. There's there's no, a they, memorable they, they, no, they... there's a memorable game. Uh, it was ninety or ninety one Sunday afternoon. I'm watching it with my dad. It's Bulls Celtics. It goes to overtime. Everybody's playing at a high level, and you just feel the electricity through the television because of the way the crowd would react to the greatness of players. Do you remember playing at a high level in that building and how they would react to that and be drawn to that? Because I, I felt that well, through the television yeah. set. Well, you, you look, I, I, the New York fans are very knowledgeable fans, but the Boston fans, look, they're, they're used to seeing greatness, and they respected greatness. And no matter if it was on their team or the other team, they respected greatness. So I always appreciated that. Um, I always, 
you know, appreciated how hostile and passionate they were in Boston. And, um, you know, and I remember in those times, I think we were still probably traveling commercial at those times. So I remember mm-hmm. when you would walk through the airport in Boston, you know, people were like, you suck, Armstrong. Larry is the great. I mean, I remember that. Like, <laughs> you, you, you check into the hotel, like, you know, everyone was a Boston fan, right? You know, that was part of the deal. I mean... I mean, I, I knew it. We knew it. We You come to expect it. But at the same time, when you made a great play, they would respect you as well. So uh, the, the thing about I, I, I always loved about the Boston fans and, and even the New York fans is that there was a level of respect right. from the fans to the players. Now, that is what I felt. Now, did they say crazy things? Yes. But they would say crazy things, and then afterwards they would be like, hey, nice job, Armstrong. And I always respected that about them. Now, during the game, they, they were going to say all types of things, but when you did something and you played well, there was that level of respect, which to me is what made them special and made them different than all the other teams in the league because it was never personal with them. It was just like we're coming here to root for our guys. We're all Celtic fans, but – they respected us, you know, and, and you know, and that, that was part of the deal. You know, I respected them. They respected me, and we all went home. They did their job. I tried to do my job as best I could, and then we left it there at the game. So, But the Celtic fans were always great. I never got a chance to play there during the playoffs, but they were really into the game during the regular season, especially with, with so many legends on the floor. I mean – I remember as a young player playing against Larry Bird the first time and Kevin McHale and Robert Parrish and and the late Dennis Johnson and Danny Ainge and and all of those guys just walking into the garden. So to me, that was a big deal. Um, I had a chance to see, you know, even though he at the time, you know, Larry was struggling with his, you know, his physical ailments that he had, you know, yeah, I I remember Larry talking trash to me, and I and I, I remember I told all my friends, <laughs> you know, like Larry, mm-hmm. he he actually knew who I was, you know, <laughs> that I I thought that was great, you know. That's amazing. Um, yeah, no, Larry Larry asked me during uh, I was supposed to rotate to Larry, and I faked at him, like on the wing, and at the next and then we get fouled or something, we at the free throw line, and he started asking Kevin McHale, he wondered if I had cable television in Iowa. And I thought that was the funniest thing then. <laughs> like, he actually knew my name. And he was like, does this kid have cable television? Why did he come over here? And he's talking to Kevin McHale, and I'm just laughing at the free throw line. And I just thought it was the funniest thing to me that I was like, oh, wow, this guy talks trash. And he's great. So it was like, but that was, it was a different time back then. You know, you, you know, and I remember Michael saying, don't, don't talk back to Larry. That gets him fired up. So. And I was like, all right, out of respect to the guy, he can talk trash, and that's and that's fine. And uh, so, you know, that's what you did back then. But, you know, today it's a different game. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Do you remember the first time on the road when someone said something to you that just froze you and you had to, like, tell yourself, like, I can't respond to this even though it was – so over the line. Do you remember where you were and what the tone of that was? Yeah, I, I, I do. 
Um, but not, not, but I, I don't want to say where or here, like, you know, where, but I, I do. There, there's been a lot of things that I've heard over the years that just caught my attention, right? Um, there's been a lot of things that just, you know, just like I, I couldn't believe what was said. Um, but there's one story in particular that really kind of froze me. Like, r- literally, I stopped. It was at the Philadelphia Spectrum, and uh, at the old Spectrum, and I'm mm-hmm. walking out of the game, and lo and behold, one of my idols, uh, Julius Irving, walks out the same time I'm walking out. And Julius comes up to me, and he shakes my hand, and he's just a class act. He says, hey, you know, BJ... Uh, I've been following you, and congratulations on everything you're doing, and just hanging there, young man, and da-da-da. And I thought, wow, you know, this is Dr. J. This is Julius Irving. And I'm walking to the bus, and I'm just in awe that, you know, let alone that I met him. He's, like, talking to me, you know. And out of nowhere, as we're walking and he's talking, this kid comes up to me and goes, hey, can I have your autograph? And he looks at me, and I go, oh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a little embarrassed. I'm like, I'm standing next to Dr. J, but the kid asked me. And then, he, and then he looks at Dr. J, and he goes, do you play? Who are you? <laughs> now, and I remember I was, I was, like, embarrassed. I was embarrassed that the kid knew me and didn't know Dr. J, first of all. And I remember Doc looked at me. And the, and he signs the kid. He's Doc said, "Yeah, I used to play." He's like, "Oh, okay." So he signs it, and then Doc looks at me and he goes, "BJ," he goes, "Someday, that's going to happen to you." And he said, "That's why you got to pre- get yourself prepared to make the transition from as a player and what you're going to do after, because the ball is going to the air is going to come out of the ball at some point." And Doc yeah. said that to me. And I remember, and, I, and, I, and he said that to me, he gave me a hug, and to this day when I see Dr. J, we still kind of chuckle about that moment because that was a moment in time where I literally stopped. That was like, it was, it was so impactful because Dr. J didn't have to say anything to me. That was the doctor. Like, that's one of, like, he was like, I mean, that's the doc. What do you say? I mean, I'm, I'm walking. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. I'm, I'm after a game walking with the doctor <laughs> in the tunnel. And uh, but that was one of the things I remember that at some point they're going to forget who you are, too, and that you got to be prepared for that next moment. So that's my stopping in the track moment. That's outstanding. Great way to close the show, my man. Terrific job as always. Uh Love Our Rhythm, Pure Hoops Podcast, Episode 9 in the books. Special thanks to Bruce Bernstein, Scott Turkin, Jeff Torini, the whole Pure Hoops Media crew. Welcome to the fam, Monica McNutt. Great show, my friend, and uh, we will talk next week. Enjoy your weekend of March Madness. We've got a little Thunder Warriors heading into the weekend, which should be a great one, but I will catch you next week. Great job. Thank you, and I'll see you next week. The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.